Hi everyone, welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Jansons. Our guest today is Joe Robinson, CEO and founder of Hummingbird. Hummingbird is a platform that enables fintechs and financial institutions to fight financial crime by providing investigative tools and insights to conduct fraud and anti-money laundering investigations. Joe is a veteran of the fintech world with prior experience at both Square and Circle. In today's conversations, we've covered topics including Hummingbird's mission to fight financial crime and its product-focused origins, the landscape of financial fraud and money laundering today, the unsung heroes of finance and compliance, the rise of crypto in the fintech ecosystem and its implications on fraud and anti-money laundering, and much, much more. Hi, Joe, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. Uh, where are you calling in from today? Hey, thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. I'm calling in from Seattle, Washington, where it's a gorgeous summer day. So nice to be here. Great to have you on the podcast. And um, so for those who aren't familiar, can you give a brief overview of your career to date and how you came to be involved in fintech and more specifically regtech? Yeah, absolutely. Well, most recently, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Hummingbird. We're a platform for investigating financial crime. And uh, how does one get into this world? Uh, well, I started my career in product management in fintech. I was at Square in the early days of that company and led a few of their different products. I was working on Square Dashboard, which is kind of the, the merchant's interface for their business, and then later went on to be on the, the team that uh, started Square's e-commerce products, which now if you've you know ordered from a restaurant using Square, uh, you've probably seen that product in the wild. It was called Square Online Stores at the time. After that, I went to uh, the cryptocurrency industry. I joined Circle. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I'd worked with that founder before at his previous company, had a great time, learned a lot from him. And I joined Circle as VP of product, worked with the initial team on launching the first product about a year after I joined. And then I, I shifted my own focus to focus on some of the financial crime issues that every company faces. Uh, I was the VP of risk and data science and uh, led Circle's transaction monitoring projects, uh, some of the anti-fraud work, and collaborated closely on uh, some of Circle's compliance needs with Matt Van Buskirk. Uh, Matt, of course, now is my co-founder and the CEO of Regulatory for Hummingbird. So. Um, my world's kind of came back together about a year and a half after I left the company and we started this. So, Amazing. And um, I guess in your own words then, how does Hummingbird's product suite fulfill its mission to fight financial crime? Yeah, no, thanks. Um, so Hummingbird is a really cool company. We're a mission-driven company with the mission to fight financial crime. Uh, before we knew exactly what we were going to build, we knew that that's what we wanted to do. Uh, at Hummingbird, we provide a platform for financial institutions to investigate potential crimes. Um, so a lot of times they're looking at false positives and things like that. But when they see something truly suspicious, uh, they'll go through a process of investigation, uh, create a report, and that report flows into government agencies around the world uh, that are tasked with essentially um, providing information out to law enforcement agencies that then prosecute the crimes. And it's it's a really cool world. It's an interesting problem. I feel very fortunate. We kind of looked around for different problems to work on when we were starting the business. And uh, as I mentioned, we had the mission-driven focus, uh, but we also discovered a, a hero of the financial industry. So we, we provide service to the compliance and risk teams in finance. 
their job is really to keep the financial industry safe. Uh, and they do that by uh, conducting these investigations, making sure that uh, you know the financial institutions' customers are uh, doing the right things. They're not up to illegal activities like money laundering or fraud or things like that. And it just turns out that the user is, is kind of overlooked by most technology companies. So we're super happy to be able to found Hummingbird and service that user. So Amazing. You've talked a lot on other podcasts about kind of that product and design centricity, a pretty core to Hummingbird's DNA and obviously what you've done before. Can you tell us yeah. a bit how that's affected the product suite that you've built today? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I believe in, in kind of a design first product approach. Um, I think that great products are well designed, um, not thinking about aesthetics per se here, although that's an important part. I'm thinking more about the utility value that the product offers, uh, how it feels for the user to use it. Is it intuitive? Uh, and where is it actually helping the user along the way? So uh, in my work at you know, Square, later at Circle, I did some consulting work for IDEO. Like all of those companies were very design-centric companies. They were always kind of thinking about the user experience with their products and innovators in many ways, each of them. And um, at Hummingbird, we do the same, right? We're thinking about the compliance professionals. We're thinking about the job at hand. It's really complex work with data from lots of different sources. So. We really try to take a, a design first perspective where we're helping them organize things together, get a quick view of the case that they're working on, and then make some of the important decisions that they make along the way. You know, none of which could be done without, um, you know, great design, a lot of automation. There's a lot of power behind the scenes, if you will, but we're trying to keep things very simple for them. Amazing. And, um, Clearly, in the last few years, fintech has absolutely exploded as a category, especially you know with the rise of neobanks and banking as a service. So I kind of think one thing I'd love to ask you is, what do you see as some key misconceptions of financial fraud, money laundering today? Well, I think, and, and I'm guessing a, a lot of listeners to the podcast are, are in the fintech startup business, right? It's, it's, it's folks that are in early stage companies, which is just one of the best sectors of the market to be in, the most fun. I think some of the misconceptions that founders and early stage startups have are, um, number one, really only focusing on fraud. So fraud is, you know, the category of crime where if I steal your credit card and, and steal money directly from you, um, that's going to sort of generally fall under the bucket of fraud. One of the uh, much bigger uh, and, and sort of like more pervasive types of financial crime is actually not associated with fraud, it's money laundering. Um, that's where organized crime, uh, political corruption, drug cartels, illegal weapon sales, things like that, they're trying to obscure the source of the money. They're trying to obscure the illegal activity that generated the profit. And, it, you know, money launderer, professional money launderer will actually go to great lengths not to commit fraud because fraud is much more easily detectable. And so, you know, I think it's just something for startup CEOs and things like that and fintech to be aware of. Yes, you have to deal with the fraud that that sort of represents money walking out the front door in the form of fraud losses. But as you grow and as you scale, a lot of society, including regulatory agencies and things like that, are, of course, concerned with fraud. Uh, but they're also very concerned with with money laundering and other types of crime that you need to be mindful of. So as you're building up your service, as you're thinking about fintech and things like that, I try to encourage people to have a mindset of like, 
okay, how would I game this, right? How would I, how would I use this new service to actually move money illegally or steal from somebody or something like that? I'll use a quick example and we can talk more about other examples if you want. I think a common misconception is um, most people don't associate uh, fraud or money laundering with two-sided marketplaces, right? So anytime you have a marketplace, like my first experience with this was building the e-commerce products for Square. On Square, you can be both a buyer and a seller. You, you know, you can be a merchant, you can sell things, other things like that. And it's not just them, it's any two-sided marketplace like Lyft or Uber or eBay or uh, Airbnb or any company where you know, they're providing value by enabling both buyers and sellers of a service. The thing about that is, is financial criminals love that, right? If they can be both the buyer and seller on the same platform, uh, they can just launder money all day long, right? They can, uh, uh, if it's a bookshop or something like that, or Amazon or whatever, they can just sell fake books to themselves and launder all that money all day long. And so we just encourage founders to take a step back and um, and try to think about all of the different ways that a criminal might view your business um, and, and just do some risk assessment around like, you know, how, how's somebody going to use this? How would they abuse the system? What would they use it for? What types of crime does it enable? I've heard you say elsewhere that the uh, the only people better than VCs at finding early stage fintechs are criminals. Um, <laughs> so how can players like Hummingbird and other reg tech players help bridge the gap to kind of a more modern standard for fraud prevention, anti-money laundering, et cetera. It, it absolutely kind of boggles the mind how quickly, you know, criminal enterprises learn about early stage fintechs, you know, and I, I think the reason for that is over the last 10, 15 years, they've just learned like, okay, here's a fintech, it's a money movement service, something like that. It's going to have less sophisticated controls than, you know, your average tier one bank or something like that. So. They will, you know, actively watch for those, post about them in forums and things like that, and then exploit those loopholes uh, as quickly as possible. Sadly, unfortunately, uh, you know, often it's right in the early days of the fintech. So a lot of fintechs launch and immediately have um, a fraud issue and uh, potentially a much larger issue with money laundering or something like that. So I think to answer your question, like the answer is just to um, to pay attention to be mindful of both the risk and compliance practice areas at your company. Um, you know, ask around. There's great networks for founders on Slack. There's great resources, advisors, banking partners are aware of this stuff. Um, you know, I know for early stage fintech, you got to stay focused, obviously, on building your core business and acquiring customers. You don't want to distract yourself too much with the other stuff. Um, but it pays off to be a little bit wise about like, the different resources and tools and, and services available to you at that stage. And, and I guess building on that, what are kind of the most common pitfalls that you see in early stage fintechs? And maybe contrast those to when you're looking at bigger financial institutions that you work with, what are the kind of more common pitfalls on that side? Yeah, um, well, and a lot, of, a lot of vendors have gotten better about protecting against these things. I think to give some ex specific examples, you know, a lot of times early stage fintechs, when they're signing customers up, will kind of do insufficient um, identity validation. So, you know, if, if somebody can sign up for your service with a fake ID or a fake identity that they've stolen or something like that, um, once they're in, they can probably do a lot of damage with that account, right? So, you know, keep in mind, like, your customer onboarding funnel is important from an identity verification status. 
A second pitfall that I see a lot um, is when when folks are funding a new account or funding a new card or a new wallet or something like that. A lot of times, uh, the fintech will make those funds available to spend through the card or the product before the fintechs actually received and kind of cleared the funds in the account. And so, just a crazy common fraud loophole is like. I connect up a bank account that's not mine. I, I, you know, initiate a deposit for $10,000 or something. The fintech gives me credit for the $10,000. I go out and spend it. And then guess what? Uh, that initial transfer to fund the account never actually clears because it was insufficient balance or something like that. So now the fintech's out that money, right? You, you're left trying to um, recoup the money from a criminal or um, you just eat those fees. And we've seen a lot of startups deal with that. It's a, it's a very common problem. There's some great vendors in the space for that stuff. Hummingbird, to the second part of your question, Hummingbird is more focused on um, slightly later stage operations, larger teams and things like that. By the time you kind of get through the initial hurdles of being a fintech and growing and scaling, or if you're a bank or a traditional institution, then you're dealing with a, a compliance practice area and some of the burdens that that team has. Um, that's where you're, you're dealing with investigations at scale. You might have a lot of personnel in that function, hundreds of thousands of people doing those. Um, you have really strict regulatory requirements around how much time you have to do the investigations, what you report on, stuff like that. And so we, Hummingbird is a, a platform for orchestrating the work of compliance and risk teams. Uh, we focus on scaling that up and, and scaling up the procedures. And when you get to that phase, um, it's really good to have a partner that can make sure you're doing the right thing in every single case that you're working. And uh, speaking of scaling, I know that now you're helping you know many companies file compliance in the US, yeah. Canada, UK, as well as a lot of other jurisdictions. So how have you and the Hummingbird team kind of handled the additional complexity that comes with international expansion, multiple jurisdictions, different standards, yeah. and so on? I mean, a lot of a lot of great financial institutions, and you know, now and we're recording this in 2022, they're multinational, right? Like the world is is very global, the internet is global, uh, money moves globally. And so a lot of the companies that we work with are involved or have operations in in many countries around the world. The cool thing for us has been uh, helping them expand to new geographies with our own platform. Uh, Hummingbird, you know, focuses on the investigations practice area and then uh, suspicious activity reporting. And a, a neat thing about um, global anti-money laundering efforts is uh, there's international consortiums of countries that try to develop rules and laws and policies and things like that that makes sense at the global level. So the Financial Action Task Force, FATF, is a great example of an international body that has come together and seeks to um, make, make some of the AML requirements and things like that. They're not a law-setting body, but they seek to make the requirements consistent across countries so that um, it's safe for a financial institution to operate in multiple countries. That has benefited Hummingbird. So the, the, the kind of byproduct of that is that investigation procedures and suspicious activity reporting, things like that, they are definitely country specific and jurisdiction specific, um, but they're similar. They're similar because there are certain standards of 
anti-money laundering um, regulation and things like that, that most countries try to comply with. Um, and it's allowed us to expand with our customers very rapidly to uh, Africa, Europe, um, and other geographies that are coming soon for us. Amazing. And, and kind of as I was doing my own research in this topic area, I was, I was pretty stunned by the amount of manual work that can often be involved in a, in a single one of these SARS. And, you know, I've seen the estimates from Hungerbird, you can save teams, you know, four plus hours on a single report, that's uh, very yeah. interesting to hear. It's hours, right? I, I think like, um, your, your average like case that is is not escalated or meaning like it's a case where it's a false positive and and nothing to be alarmed about that doesn't take very long like most organizations can probably get through a case like that if they're working it thoroughly in you know a, f a few minutes 10 minutes 20 minutes something like that but when they actually see something um, that might be unusual or potentially suspicious or even something they confirm to be illegal you're usually like adding hours then, hours of investigation, hours of looking at that subject, collecting information from all these different data sources. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, like the report formats are um, also very detailed, right? And they, they're quite detailed, they're quite complex. So that's where we've added a lot of automation for Hummingbird. So Hummingbird automates um, quite a bit of the data gathering, the report creation, you know, the human uh, component of that workflow is, is really just adding the expertise of a compliance professional. They're kind of looking at what the data looks like, making some decisions about it, um, but they're doing what they do best, right? Humans are great at pattern recognition. They're great at like seeing things that might be weird or potentially unusual. And then the computer is sort of like automating the rest and making it much easier to handle. Amazing. Um, switching tack a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I know we're in a little bit of a crypto winter right now, supposedly, but I'd love to talk to you a little bit about how Hummingbird has kind of dealt with the rise of crypto and how is the ride of rise of cryptocurrency and associated fraud kind of changed the landscape of financial crime in the last few years? Yeah, we we at Hummingbird love crypto. Um, so we're we're very bullish on it. You know, several of us on the founding team, as I mentioned, worked in crypto before this. Um, we were early adopters um, and we're still big believers in it. Um, at Hummingbird, we work with quite a few crypto companies, some of the biggest in the world. And um, they, they're just like, I think they've gotten that big as crypto companies because they really are, are progressive and they're thinking about compliance. They're, um, you know, they aggressively go after financial crime and by virtue of like really being buttoned up in these practice areas. Uh, they've been able to scale right with the with the blessing of regulators and with the cooperation of the financial industry so um it's quite cool to see i love crypto i mean i think one of the things is like the concept of digital currency you know if you look a little like beyond the currencies that we have today or that at least are that are popular right the bitcoins and eth and things like that like very cool currencies very innovative technologies there's some things just around digital currency, whether it's like central bank digital currencies or sovereign digital currencies, things like that, that hold really interesting implications for AML. I mean, a big difference between digital currency and, and fiat currency or cash is like the digital one has a digital footprint, right? It's, it's sort of trackable, it's traceable. And so you can layer in safety mechanisms around those things. And we already see that happening today, right? The, the future of currency is digital, uh, I believe, in my opinion. 
and a lot of you know the technologies for anti-crime uh, can be kind of embedded in the, the currency itself, which is really cool. Still like super early days on that, but we know a number of folks from the crypto industry that are working on that, working with regulators, working for regulators. And so just expecting a ton of like really cool stuff uh, from that world in the future. I think this current dip, um, which, you know, feels like it's already kind of turned around. It's just, you know, one of many, like, um, I think most folks working in the crypto industry kind of see these things come and go and remain uh, pretty, pretty tied to the currency. So definitely. And there's a, there's plenty of crypto true believers among the, among the listeners of the podcast of that, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Building on that a little bit, when I when I think about how kind of how can startups and kind of although more legacy institutions kind of educate themselves to be more integrated with crypto and to be more aware of it as both a kind of the future and the future of financial crime. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure um, since we're on the Warden podcast, like there's a lot of things that schools are doing in the early days, startup networks. Um, there's some great conferences and things like that. Um, I think from a financial crime perspective, um, you know, crypto is arguably not all that different from, you know, types of crime that uh, you would experience with fiat currency. Now, for all the crypto industry folks listening, I acknowledge like, of course, there are some major differences, but like, if you take a step back and kind of look at the anti-crime efforts, it really is kind of about understanding the flow of funds, where it came from, where it's been, and then the activity that it's being used for, right? Those things are consistent kind of regardless of, of the currency in question, whether it's a sovereign currency, digital currency, central bank, digital currency, whatever it is. So I, I think like a lot of, particularly for major institutions to, to go to part of your question, it's kind of looking at, you know, what they already know, right? What they already know about their correspondent banking businesses and what they know about their cash businesses and retail and commercial side and things like that. And then taking those lessons and applying it to what are essentially new asset classes or sort of a new medium, right? And, um, we see, you know, we've we've seen uh, confidential but super interesting things um, from larger financial institutions, and they're doing like great uh, investigatory uh, procedures and things like that into crypto. So a lot of that stuff is is quite cool, and and uh, I wouldn't count the big companies out. They're doing a lot in crypto as well. Definitely the case. All right, changing tack once again a little bit, but um, obviously Hummingbird's been scaling pretty fast. I know you raised a big round last year and you know have been growing in a more distributed fashion from what I'm aware. So we'd love to hear a little bit about kind of, you know, obviously you guys are a mission-driven company. How has that affected you scaling? How have you guys been kind of looking for talent as you scale internationally? We'd just love to hear a bit more as of kind of the process and the growing pains in a bit more detail. Yeah. I think we were we were about ten people at the beginning of the pandemic, and now we're um, you know approaching a hundred or so. Um, and so most of those folks joined when we were a fully distributed company. Um, I, I actually our offices were in San Francisco, and I moved to Seattle, and some of the other founders left San Francisco as well. So um, I don't think we'll be re-centralizing the office, but um, it's been great, um, honestly. Like. I think being a fully distributed, you know, remote first company has enabled us to bring um, great folks into the team that we would have otherwise had to pass on for location reasons. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. I mean, like 
Um, we work, we work hard. We work in this setting a lot, like Zoom and Google Meet and things like that. Um, we've reshaped some of the company practices and cultural elements to like be more fitting for a remote company. But I, I'm super bullish on this as like the future of work. We do get the team together. A couple of weeks ago, um, we had a team uh, all hands on site. Uh, we chose Minneapolis for this one. We actually moved them around. Got, you know, I think we had 67, 68 members of the team there, something like that. And so we do seek to create the in-person dynamic and, and sort of networking opportunities that you would have at a an on-site company. But um, we find that if we do that once every couple of quarters or provide some team building experiences around that, um, most folks feel like they're, you know, similarly connected to the team in the ways that they would if they were in the office. So it's cool. It's 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 interesting that it took the pandemic to kind of like teach the world how to work remotely, but it feels now like part of the normal, you know, the normal tool set for companies and being able to do this enables you to find the best talent. So um, yeah, I love it. that. That point of finding talent where you they might previously have been geographically constrained has been coming up a lot recently. And I think it's yeah. uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that holds kind of moving forwards. But certainly, you know, for, as a company that's expanding geographies, I'm sure it's great to be able to just pick and choose as you as you see fit. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really. I mean, you know, there's any number of reasons why people need to live where they live, either through choice or family obligations or other reasons. And it's it's just great that that doesn't have to be an impediment to the the jobs that they can have. So um, we think it's super cool, amazing. And um, speaking of scaling, assuming everything goes to plan and the, and the vision comes true, kind of what what in your mind does Hummingbird look like in five years down the line? Yeah, we're excited. I mean, we we have a big opportunity. We're just working closely with our customers to build out the investigations platform. And honestly, there's so much more for us to do in it. Um, financial crime investigations are, um, you know, really important, very complex, um, and they involve data from lots of different sources. So we continue to build that out. We work every day with customers on improving the user experience and improving the utility value that we can provide for them. I think in five years, we'll probably be doing some of the same stuff, but on a more global scale and probably leaving in different applications, more automation, things like that into that investigation flow. But in terms of the core problem, we just love this problem and there's a lot of work to do and we have a long way to go on it. So. And uh, something we also love to ask founders who you know have have learned a lot of lessons the hard way from from building companies is you know taking a couple of the lessons that you've learned at Hummingbird and you know for those prospective founders out there or people you know who are at the seed and A stage and and still kind of struggling along like what are some things that you have found at Hummingbird to be really core cool to kind of building the culture building the product etc. Yeah. You know, we we stayed true to what we set out to do with the company, and um, it took a long time. I think particularly in enterprise B2B, which we're in, um, you have to kind of believe in what you're building to get through that zero to one phase. It might take a while, right? Like, I think the enterprise B2B SaaS zero to one is is really hard, right? It's really hard. It's really complicated. Um, there's not particularly for us in like, you know, very confidential data and things like that. There's not a lot of corners to cut, but we we just stayed deliberate on it. We had some customers, we found some customers that really believed in what we were doing. 
Um, we worked as closely as we could with them to build out for them. And um, it worked out, you know, like we got through that and, and it's uh, scaled up a lot since then. But it really was kind of a matter of, um, you know, finding first early customers and, and building to their needs. Actually, as I'm thinking about it and answering your question, I'm also thinking, wait a second, there was a step before that as well, which is just security. Um, <laughs> uh, for, if you're an enterprise B2B SaaS or any sort of like enterprise B2B thing, like the security certifications have become like the name of the game and you just can't do, you know, what you're going to do unless you're committed to information security as one of the core building blocks of your business. And we were coming out of other money moving businesses before starting Hummingbird. So like really had that in our DNA already, but founding Hummingbird has, has caused us to like really uh, continue to double down on that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think you can uh, found a compliance startup without being uh, very focused, <laughs> laser focused on security at the very least. That's um, even, it's so core for us. I didn't even think to mention it. So, uh. right, exactly. But and then certainly there are there are other fintech startups. <laughs> you know, I think fintechs have learned the hard way that you can't just uh, move fast and break things in such a such yeah. a delicate industry. It's been a pleasure having you on. And um, one thing I'd love to say before we let you go, we like to ask all our guests kind of just about their hobbies outside of work. What keeps you sane? What do you do to, um, you know, keep yourself occupied outside of everything you're doing at Hummingbird? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the question. Um, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I love the outdoors. I live in Seattle, which is great for that. I have a dog. Um, I love to get out, play a little bit of guitar. I try to just... Uh, um, I think probably for other founders and stuff like that, it's it's whatever your hobbies are, like give yourself a little bit of space, right? Creativity um, usually happens in, in time periods where your mind is more relaxed, like give yourself that space. Don't, don't just work 24 seven, like take some space to set some boundaries, take your weekends. Um, I try to do all that and I love um, being out and about here, but it's a lot of different things. So mainly just trying to enjoy the journey. Amazing. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast, Joe. Uh, we'd love to have you again and wish you and Hummingbird all the best of luck. Thanks so much. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you love our show, please write a review or engage with us on social media. We greatly appreciate your support and it helps us spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton Fintech. There you'll be able to access interviews, articles, and much more analyzing all aspects of the fintech industry. As always, a very special thank you to our editor, Rafael Austria. Until next time, your host, Andrew Janssens.